Good morning, church. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank God. And it was a wonderful experience to witness the baptism and the joining of membership into our church while we celebrate the Easter Sunday. You know, Easter worship has always been uplifting and celebrative. And the messages on Jesus' resurrection has inspired many Christians to endure our run, endure the race that is set before us. But this year, we'll preach the same message, the same message about Jesus' resurrection, but from the heavenly perspective. You know, the outlook of our world is so dire and so discouraging that the only hope is to look to heaven. So we plead, heaven help us. Heaven help us. And that's our topic that I want to share with you this morning. And for that, I'm going to turn to uh, Revelation chapter 5. Uh, Revelation chapter 5. We'll just go section by section as we go through that preaching of God's Word in Revelation chapter 5. You can turn to your Bible. You can turn to your electronic you know, appliances. Or you can just read at the screen. And let me just go through verses 1 to 4. We need heaven help us because we cry. We cry. Verses 1 to 4. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. This is the first section of the, the book of Revelation. It begins with looking. He says, I saw, I saw. The apostle John saw the vision of heaven. And in that vision, he saw God seated on the throne. He rules the universe as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And on his right hand, the position of power, he holds a scroll. And in the ancient documents, are often written on long scroll. And when you finish that, they will roll up the scroll and tie it with threads. And hot wax will be applied to the thread and stamped with a signet ring. And once hardened, it is not possible to tamper with the content of the scroll. And only authorized personnel, authorized individuals are allowed to open it at the designated time. And for this scroll, there is absolutely no chance of uncovering the content because seven seals, seven seals, seven individuals, seven witnesses had applied their wax and applied their synod ring to seal up this scroll. And the content will be very, very important and very secretive. You know, in our words today, it's encrypted, it is coded, it is password required. And the scroll is usually written on the inside, but for this scroll, it is written on the back as well because there's so much to say about the content. And you wonder by now, what is the content of that scroll? And some commentators think that the content is the book of life where the names of those who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior are written. Others think that, well, the content is the book of Revelation, the book that we are preaching from today. But most likely, the content includes the judgment of the world, the final rewards of the saints, and the consummation of all history, how things will ultimately end for all people. 
And in verse 2, it says, The mighty angel gave an invitation to anyone in the whole universe who is able to open the scroll by breaking the seven seals. But no one steps out because no angelic beings in heaven and no human being on earth and nor the dead under the earth was able to open it. So the angel was searching for someone who is worthy, not just someone competent. Someone is worthy. See, you are not able to open it until you are worthy. Someone who has done something meaningful and effective to be able to open that scroll. And John just felt the burden of despair. If there's no one worthy to open up the, 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 the scroll, the, the destiny of humanity, the future of the world is bleak. There's too much is at stake. Because if there's no future, there's no hope. He was looking for hope, but there's no hope. And he was wailing loudly. He was crying. In some ways, we are also crying, crying for the terrible atrocities in Ukraine, physically or figuratively. We cry for those who passed away because of COVID-19, continually. And we wonder as a nation if the people who live in this nation are able to coexist. Will there be a civil war as some alluded? And we wonder if we can live on the ideal of the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal, that they are still able to pursue life and liberty and happiness. Think about this. We are an angry society. We are a, a broken society, abusive society, an out-of-control society, a self-centered society. See, we become our own problems. We cry while for others, for the world, for other nations, and for other people, actually the main thing is we cry for ourselves. And it is vividly portrayed in the Bible, in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is the flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. And in verse 19, he says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I can't help it. And in verse 20, he says, Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And that's the problem. Sin that dwells within me. When that is not resolved, there's no hope for the predicament that we are experiencing and feeling around us today. In verse 24, he lamented and says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? There is no hope. Death is the only destiny. In verse 25, he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is hope in Jesus Christ. So though we cry, though we look out there, though it seems to be gloomier and gloomier every day, we have hope in Jesus Christ. So in verses 5 to 10, we look at the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's turn to verses 5 and 10. And uh, display the verse. Thank you so much. Okay, let's uh, join me in reading if you want to, or just follow along. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls with full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The hope that we have is in the salvation of Jesus Christ. So beginning in verse 5, we see one of the elders from among the 24 elders. The 24 elders are those who represent the rapture church. And, and, and they, one of them came to present a worthy candidate. And he was so confident that, that he was comforting the apostle John and saying, you know, you can stop weeping now. There will be no more weeping. Hope will be restored when you look at this candidate. And he's, he called this candidate the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that is alluding to Genesis chapter 49, verses 9 to 10, when Jacob was blessing all the 12 sons that he had, he blessed Judah and said, Judah is a lion's cup. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. You stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? Verse 10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall the obedience of the peoples. In that Genesis 49, Jesus is the long-awaited lion of the tribe of Judah as Jacob blessed his son Judah and that is a prophetic uh, blessing that is fulfilled in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And secondly, he called him the root of David. That is alluding to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, which is, they shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This is alluding to God's judgment. They will come upon the nation Judah, but they will be left, they will be left with nothing but it seems this lifeless stump is the destiny, was the destiny of the nation, but they will be alive yet. They will be alive again. And God promised to retain a remnant to carry on his work and the bloodline of King David. What seemed to be a dead, decaying stump would bring forth new life in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and it is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus and with that too, title that he gave to the candidates, he said that he has conquered. He has conquered. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll 
and its seven seal. So among the four creatures are the, the four creatures are angels whose primary purpose is to worship God. And the 24 elders, the 24 representatives of the rapture church of the saints. So instead of a lion, as promised in Genesis 49, he saw a lamb. And the lamb that has been slain. The lion is the lamb. Not a regular lamb, but a slaughter lamb. A sacrificial lamb. It is through Jesus' death on the cross that he's the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But you know what? The lamb who has been slain is now standing. He is standing because he rose again from the dead. He's not, he is not a lamb slaughtered, lying down. He's a lamb who has rose again from the dead. And the Bible says, He has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So with seven horns, meaning he's full of power, and with seven eyes, meaning he's full of wisdom, they represent the seven spirits sent out into the world. And that seven spirits sent out into the world is a picture of the perfect and complete Holy Spirit being sent forth to exalt Christ and to convict sins. And in verse 7, it says, with that qualified candidate, with that worthy candidate, the Lamb steps forward to receive the scroll from the one on the throne, from God the Father. He is worthy to open the scroll by His death on the cross. So God the Father authorizes the Lamb who was slain to reign over the events of human history. And in verse 8, it says the, the harp and the golden balls full of incense, they are basically instruments that is being used in the temple worship. The, the harp is a musical instrument that we know. And the golden balls full of incense, and it says the incense are the prayers of the saints. Who are the saints who praise before God as an incense that is offered before God the Father. They are the martyrs who pleaded before God to vindicate them in, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And here, the Son of God receives the worship of angelic and human beings. And it culminates into a new song in verses 9 and 10. The song is basically a song of redemption. And it says, Worthy are you, to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation and ye have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This is a song of redemption. It is full of redemptive languages in there. In that song, you can see crucifixion. Jesus was crucified. In that song, you can see Jesus shed his blood. And in that song, you can see Jesus paid the ransom. He paid the ransom for the people among all nations, not just the Jews, but everybody around the world who are enslaved by sin and death. He paid the ransom to freedom when they opened their hearts to receive Jesus and to transform them into a kingdom and priest like the ancient Israel 
and they will serve the Lamb of God forever and ever. And what, what a beautiful song that will be. And I, it just reminds me of that song, what a wonderful name in Hill song, right? Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. It silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Your sister kingdom, your sister glory, your sister name above all names. What a beautiful song of redemption. And that's a song that they are singing before the throne to give glory to the one on the throne and to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. You know, there is hope because Christ has taken the scroll. So there is hope. There is hope because Christ has accomplished the redemption of mankind. So there is hope. There is hope because the indwelling spirit reminds us to obey God's word, resulting in the renewing of the mind and not be overwhelmed by the dire conditions of humanity. There is hope in Christ. And that song of redemption must be sung over and over again. We just sang the song this morning, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise the name forevermore. For endless days, we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, our God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, our God. Sing that song of redemption wherever you are. Sing that song of redemption whatever challenges you face in life. And with the pessimism that you feel and with the concern and anxiety that you see the outlook and the outcomes of humanity, sing that song of redemption because there is hope in Jesus Christ. So naturally, after we cry and after we have hope, we naturally break up into worship. That's the first point, third point I want to share with you. We worship. Verses 11 to 14. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Again, the Apostle John looked and heard. He saw a great sight to behold and to enjoy the worship of God. In verse 11 says, there's a big gathering of worshipers, innumerable angelic and human beings. They come around the throne of God to offer their worship. And that is the meaning of worship. That's the purpose of worship. You center on God. Worship is not about coming to enjoy some music. It's not about coming to hear some inspirational messages. Worship is not about this. 
They help us, but it is not about that. Worship is to offer to God. And when you don't come for God, when your focus is not on God, when your song is not directed to God, when the messages are not in obedience to God, when the prayer is not offered to God, it is not worship. Worship is centered on God. And this is a great model of worship that we can learn today in verses 12 to 14. First of all, you acknowledge His worthiness. He is worthy. You worship because He is worthy. You worship because there is great and awesome God. It draws you to Him. It empowers you. It humbles you. You come and bow down before Him because He is worthy. He is worthy of power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every word is loaded with meaning that we can't expound today. But it tells you, it shows you that this great God, the Lamb of God, He is worthy. He is worthy of all this and much more than we can articulate. When you see the worthiness of God, then you respond to His worthiness. So in verses 13 and 14, it reminds us that the whole universe, those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, they all offer their praises to God and say to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's worship. That when you see the worthiness of God, you respond to it. There is a participation. There is a willingness to be drawn near to God. That is worship. If you see the worthiness of God, what else can you do but you bow down and worship? If you only look from a distance, and, and heard about the greatness of God, and there is no response, there is no worship. A worship is a response. And, and we responded to the invitation to sing together. We responded to the invitations to pray together. We responded to the invitations to see the ordinance of baptism. And we, res we, we, we respond to the invitation to obey God's word. That is worship. That's a beautiful and biblical portrayal of what is worship. It is centered in God. It is to see the greatness, the worthiness of God. It is to respond to that worthiness. There is power in praising God. You know, our praises and worship drown out the dire conditions, the gloomy outlook, because it opens our eyes to see the Heavenly Father our Father in heaven. And see more than horizontally, it helps us to lift up our eyes to see vertically, to see up there, God sitting on the throne. And that, that's what gives us hope. Because heaven helps us with open eyes to see our Heavenly Father seated on the throne. You know, when you are invited to attend a three-star Michelin dinner, I don't know if you have ever been to a restaurant with a Michelin star. I've been to one star, never been to two stars. Maybe you have. But if you are ever invited to attend a three-star Michelin dinner, I, I would really advise you to go easy on your breakfast and lunch. Would you? I would. 
because that's the ultimate dining experience I want to have on that day. And today, the Apostle John just opened up the curtain a little bit and let you peek into the future and see how it ultimately looks like. And when you close that curtain and come back to the reality of the current world, I hope that you will go easy on those happenings and say, yes, it's unpleasant. Yes, it is painful. Yes, yes it worries me about the future. But I'm looking to the three-star Michelin dinner experience. Heaven helps me to look to Him for the life that I will live today. So my message to you today is really to remind you that our life today is anchored in the hope of the future kingdom of God. You know, as you grow older, you become more worrisome because you have seen so much. And you wonder, you wonder, can we still go on like this? How, how long before the whole society breaks up? And you wonder, can we still live on this earth with all the pollutions and selfishness of people? And we wonder, we talk about droughts, but who is willing to turn off the tap, the water, and say, I'll save, I'll consume, I'll conserve. We usually wait for a crisis before we participate and say, Let, let's do our part to save this planet, to save this world, to contribute to the building up of the society. And you wonder how long can we go on like this? And, and for weeks, I look at Look at what's happening around the world and what's happening in our nation and what's happening in our society. Uh, it was pretty depressing. It was pretty de depressing. And the Lord led me to this passage here. That yes, as dire, as sad, as pessimistic, as problematic that we are experiencing today as we look at the future and wonder if there is a future, that when we look to God's word and ask God, Lord, what is your will? Lord, how long can we go like this? Lord, is there hope? And he led me to chapter 5 of Revelation. And it is through that passage that my spirit is lifted up. That the hope is ultimately not about political solutions. We, we create more solutions in politics. The hope is not ultimately in science and societies and social experts and all that. We, we, we know all the knowledges. We have all the knowledge about science and solutions and people just offer tons of solutions, but no one is willing to do it. And even when you do it, the selfishness, the simple nature of people just push it back, oppose it until we come to such a dire condition that we have no choice but to say, okay, let's do it together. Ultimately, our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in our salvation. Our hope is in the redemption. It, it is in that song, the song of redemption, that we can continue to sing together and to bring hope in our lives and to bring hope in this world. So today we have a glimpse 
of what it looks like in the future. And with that glimpse, with that peek into the future, we live with hope and confidence. We walk by faith and not by sight to what we have today. And that's my message to you, church. Continue to press on by faith and not by sight because we have the redemption of Christ and because we have Jesus seated on the throne and because we have our God who continues to offer his help to us for us to press on together. Let's pray. Lord, we come together to look to you for the word of God, for the message, for how do we live and to walk with you. And we are thankful for the book of Revelation to remind us that though we cry and though we cry, but we have hope in Christ. And because we hope, so we worship. So teach us to know how to worship and teach us to know how to walk with you as we continue to live, as we continue to be light and salt of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.